I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome along to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. This week, we're chatting to Kerry Chappert. Her new novel is Chasing Eleanor. We discuss how she's very full on with her research. Also, why she likes to get clinical around the edits. And you can hear how writing helps her deal with general life anxiety. You're living sort of in this pretend world all the time because you're imagining what all the things that could happen, right? What's going to come down and how would you handle it? And so as I'm working on my day job, my brain is already doing all of these things. So I've sort of learned to channel that into my stories. And um, I find that for me, that emotional release of writing stories to try to understand humans and humanity. And I find that to be really a draw of writing to try to pick apart why we do what we do and to understand the deeper meaning behind things. It's all on the way with Kerry Chapper in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, welcome along to the show. My name's Dan Simpson. This is Writer's Routine, where we take a little look inside an author's working day. And for just the next few weeks, you've got a little bit of time to make the most of a fantastic offer from Plotter. It's a writing software, and they are supporting the show. It does what it says. It helps you plot and plan your books the way that you think, really. It helps you outline faster, organise smarter... And it really tries to turbocharge your productivity. So often, as we've heard on this show, with almost 300 authors, we sit down, we start to write, and we get a bit distracted with the back end, making sure our notes and our plans are in the right order. Plotter really helps out with that. When you open the software, you get a digital corkboard. It's there in front of you all the time. You can easily swap between the timelines, the outline, your notes, details on your characters and places. It's all color-coded. You can tag it as it might be in a notebook so you can skim through and find exactly what you need. It really helps if you're a visual writer that doesn't want to get bogged down in everything, that doesn't want to get too distracted. You can track everything at a very minute scene level and switch and swap them however you like. Uh, Plotter is a writing tool that helps you spend more time writing and less time worrying about everything else because it's all there. With over 30 plot templates proven from some of the best writers around that just nudge you on your way. So all you need to focus on is the words on the screen of what hopefully will be your published book. Plotter can help you get there. The best way for you to see how it strips everything back and how stunning it looks is by getting to go.plotter.com slash routine and taking a look around. While you're there, you can save 10% on the software with this show for just a few more weeks. To get the deal, use that link. It's in the episode notes, so you don't need to remember anything. You can just click wherever you're listening. It's go.plotter.com slash routine. Thank you for your book recommendations, by the way. If you get to writersroutine.com... Uh, There's a tab just on the top on the menu. Book recommendations is what it called. Right at the start of the year, I wanted to like use our hive mind of writing and reading loads just to get some different options. Books that maybe aren't suggested all the time. You might be listening in any part of the world. You might read in a completely different genre than I usually do. 
be nice to widen our interests right as we get to summer some nice beach reads in there uh, we'll tackle a few of those in just a little bit we'll run through a few of those recommendations in just a little bit right now let's get into it with kerry chappett she's an award-winning historical fiction author writes stories that explore the journeys of young women thrust into adventure She's written books set in 1661 and 1667 across France and Canada in the Defying the Crown series, and her new novel is called Chasing Eleanor. It starts in 1935. It's all about Magnolia Parker, who must protect her sick brothers who get put in an orphanage, and to do that, she sets out to find the most powerful woman in the world at that time, Eleanor Roosevelt the most famous woman in America and tries to get her to bring them home. We talk about why she started writing again after putting the pen down initially, suffering from huge burnout. Also, we run through why she's excited to get into writing and so excited she doesn't ever need any of the cues that we've touched on recently to get her started every day. You can hear why she wants to be a plotter, but like so many of us, ends up pantsing her whole way through. And uh, there's quite a... A stark moment that really helps us out where we find out she has once had to bin almost 80,000 words. Also, you come for the writing routines and you stay for the grizzly bear chat. There's some of that coming up. Let's get into it with Kerry Chappert in this week's writer's routine, starting as always with what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. I actually write on the couch. Um, early in the morning. Um, I'm a early riser, like 4.30 to 5 every morning. And it's the only time that I can really get my writing in because I have a full-time job and a family and, you know, kids. And so um, I usually get my coffee and I get set up to um, get comfortable on the couch and I write for an hour or two there. And then I usually use my office um, for editing um, because I feel like I need a desk for that. And I've got um, my bookshelf behind me and my favorite quotes by Eleanor Roosevelt up on the wall and a few of my favorite, you know, um, writer type things. So in your office, you've uh, personalized the space a little bit in the morning when you're writing it, it, on your couch. I know the couch and the fam in the living room is quite a family area. Have you managed to slightly make it your own because you get you have to write for a couple of hours every morning there? No, I just, I don't know why, but I don't really want the writer's own or the reader's own when I'm doing that. I'm not, I'm not quite sure why, but I find that when I'm around all of my books or I'm in my designated space, it feels a little bit more um, like official, a little bit more um, clinical, if you will, which is why I like it for an editing space. Whereas I just want to really be comfortable and let my imagination go when I'm writing. When you're in the lounge, let's talk about how, how you like push out your imagination. I imagine being up in Oregon, you must have some incredible views out of the window. I'm thinking tall pines and mountains. Don't disappoint me. <laughs> I do have those, but not out my window. Um, I do have some lovely tall, um, tall windows that I do have some pine trees around my house. But um, yeah, the if you go round the corner, you can kind of see a view of the mountains. So um, it is it is really lovely views here. And take us through the tech. We get quite into it. Like, are you writing on a, a laptop and what software are you using? And then maybe most particular of all, what font, what typeface do you like to write with, Kerry? I write in Google Drive. Um, I, I don't know if that's rare or not, but I don't know many of my writer friends that, that do that. They mostly write in Word. But I really like Google Drive because I know it's going to be saved and I don't have to worry about you know losing anything. And I, I find it pretty user-friendly. Um, and I just have my laptop that I probably cycle through one every two years because I'm on it so much. And um, I actually tend to use Arial as my font um, while I'm writing. And then when I'm ready to start editing, I'll switch it over to Times New Roman. You say you use Google Drive because it, you know, everything's kind of saved up in the cloud, but mm -hmm. everyone I've ever spoken to that uses Google Drive probably has about 10 different hard copies of it just to make sure. Are you the same? Mm, not until it's finished, no. What What about just on your, on your laptop? Do you have a, a copy there? No, just oh. on my drive. I know. I'm, I like to live on the wild side. It's <laughs> fast and loose. I don't know if I could contend with that, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> um, I think... 
while I'm drafting, I like to just be in my own space and not worry too much about the end product. And, you know, we'll we'll talk about this later, but um, my book that I'll be talking about, Chasing Eleanor, I actually rewrote that entire manuscript, um, the rough draft I ended up putting in the trash and rewrote 80,000 words. So my process is really, I like to feel free to let things go if need be. So it kind of keeps me not overly attached to what I've written. Around you in the lounge when you're on the couch writing, uh, is is it just you and the laptop? Will you have maybe a notebook nearby, some post-it notes that just point you on the right course? No, just the, just the laptop. Um, I like how in Drive I can leave notes for myself if I have something I want to come back to. Um, but I don't really plot. I am definitely uh, a pantser. And so um, I really like to get in the moment of whatever's happening with my character and live in that moment as I'm writing. And then when I go back for editing, that's when I really kind of have notes nearby and um, really start to pick apart what I've done. But the drafting for me is really fun. I know a lot of writers don't love the rough draft, but I do. I find it very freeing and fun and adventurous. And um, so I just like to be in the story. I've been talking to authors recently a lot about that idea of getting in the story and 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 how you let yourself re-enter. And a lot of them will use cues like... I don't know, lighting a candle or having a cup of coffee that just lets your brain know, okay, we're here to work. We're here to create now. Um, how much of that do you prescribe to? Um, I don't really need to get myself in the headspace um, because I write every morning. It's my favorite part of the day because I really only get that couple hours in the morning and occasionally on the weekends. But again, with, you know, two young kids, it's kind of hard. Um, I just find that I look forward to that time so much that I don't need to kind of push myself or cue myself into this is what I'm doing right now. Um, I kind of, I write for an hour to two hours every day, whatever comes out, comes out. Sometimes it's a page. Sometimes it's you know, 5,000 words. And sometimes it's nothing or I will erase it. And, and I like the freedom of being able to just, I don't do word counts or anything. It's um, obviously I have some control issues over feeling free. <laughs> like I said, I wake up when it's still dark. I wake up between 4.30 and 5. I get my coffee, sit with my dogs on the couch and I jump right into it. Um, because I read historical fiction, I have to be ready to jump in and out of the document and to go to little bits of research that I know I'm looking for. I try not to do too much as I'm writing because I save that more for the revision process, but I do have to have those different tabs open so I can check and um, um, make sure that I'm being historically accurate. Um, and then um, I would say because, I, well, I work from home, so I'm very you know I'm grateful for that. Uh, so I am able to take like my lunch breaks um, for other writing related things. I will listen to podcasts or um, take classes um, or, you know, maybe I'll plan, I'll, I'll plot something like an idea I have for another book or something. And then in the evening, obviously I've got family to take care of and everything. And then I always save my fiction reading for the last hour to hour and a half before I go to sleep. I'm 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 fascinated by this early morning, right? Because no, and I'm I am a morning person too, but perhaps not to the extent of five a.m. or whatever it is. Um, how much of that is forced? Like you want to be a writer, and you you need the the the, the day job. Um, how hard was it when you wanted to cram both of those things to get up so early to to get to work? Uh, I don't have to force it. My body naturally wakes up at that time. I've always been a morning person, but like you said, not quite this early, but I found that when I had, my kids were really little when they were babies and toddlers, it was the only time I had to myself was when it was dark and quiet and everyone was asleep. And I'm quite an introvert and I need that alone time in the morning. And so I've been getting up at five o'clock to have my coffee for years. Um, and then even before that, actually, when I was in graduate school, I found that I would 
<clears throat> study the best early in the morning. It's where my brain is sharpest. It's where I feel like I can remember things really well. And so all through graduate school, I would get up at 4.30 and, and um, study for a few hours before going to classes. You say your brain is sharp at that time of the day uh, and that you don't really need a cue because you're so excited to write, but is your brain bang on it? As soon as you sit down to, to write away, you're ready to go. There's no kind of foggy decompression into that creative time? No, no foggy decompression. I pretty much hit the ground running. Yeah. Uh, how, how much do you plan what you want to get done in, in those two hours? I don't plan anything, which is, you know, it has its pluses and minuses. <laughs> but um, I don't believe for me, I don't believe in word count goals because it puts too much pressure on myself. And then I feel like I'm, I failed if I don't like what I wrote and I need to erase it. And so I just go by time and I let myself um, explore what I want to explore in that time. And yeah, I just, um, I, I let myself have that time in the morning. It's usually seven days a week though. So I, that also takes pressure off because if I don't get something in, in the morning that I want to, or my word count isn't great, it's okay. Cause I'll have the next day. You're a few books down now so you're into this cycle of publication where you've got it's it's not just you writing for yourself you've got uh contracts you've got businesses you've got fans that want your stories uh how much pressure do you find that puts on your dislike of word counts uh it doesn't affect my word count um belief but it does change things i mean right now i'm writing um I have a trilogy, a historical fiction trilogy that I've been, um, I've been under contract for the second and now the third. And so I have my deadlines and I need to get that done by, but I'm also kind of pl planning and drafting another book that I want to pursue. So I have all these ideas. Um, and I don't know, maybe I feel like if I slow down, it's all going to fall apart, but, um, I feel like as long as I keep moving forward and keep focusing on the story and trying not to let all of the other things weigh me down, that if I can just focus on the love of storytelling, that that is what will carry me through. When your writing day is done and you're getting back to your day job, how easy do you find it to, to put the, that writing, that story to bed for another day? How much does it keep wanting to creep in with other ideas? Oh, it's there all day. I feel like I balance. My brain is split into two. I have my, you know, my my job that I have to get done, and then I'm um, responsible for, and I do that. But then on the in the back side of my brain, I am constantly thinking about my characters and where the story is going to go, and um, and then frequently, you know, like I said, because I work from home, I am lucky that I will frequently take walks or I'll take my dogs for walks. And um, when I'm doing that, I usually am using that time to cognitively really go through these stories. Um, so yeah, much of my brain power during the day is spent thinking about my, my writing. So because you don't have any word count on days when the words aren't coming out too easily, uh, how worried do you ever get? I don't get too worried. I get frustrated <laughs> because of course, you know, you want those big word count days, but um, I'm a pretty prolific writer and I write too fast is actually my problem. Um, I'm now working on my eighth project and I found that I actually need to slow down because I write so fast that I end up erasing a lot, right? I'm not really kind of stopping to think through, is this really what I want? I almost would rather just write and be moving and then deal with it later. So when I have those slow work count days, I'm actually kind of proud of myself because I think, okay, you took your time and you tried something and it didn't work and you realized right then instead of having to come back later to erase it. On days when it is a bit sticky and you are getting frustrated, uh, have you learned anything that just helps you out a little bit? Some people will use like a, like a dog walk, as you say, maybe a specific cup of coffee at a certain hour, just something that... They find a piece of music, perhaps, that just helps them. I mostly will just shut down my computer. On I don't get too many of those days where nothing is happening, but I certainly get them. And I find for me that's usually because I am overloaded. You know, 
um, emotionally or cognitively and I need a little bit of a break. So I will usually shut my computer down for a few days and then I get that itch, you know, like I have to get back to do it. And then I get excited and the words tend to flow. But on days where I, I really want to, but it's just not, I'm not finding the right thing. I love getting out in nature, hiking. We have wonderful hiking trails around here and um, it is just magic for writer's block because as soon as I get out on the trail, I start kind of thinking of ideas and things pop up and I, I have to dictate on my phone to myself <laughs> different ideas because they kind of start popping up. So nature is uh, a big thing for me. It's amazing that you've almost analyzed why it is you do find it tough. You mentioned it's because you, you feel kind of overloaded. Has have, have you ever tried to stop that kind of at source before it gets there? So maybe spread yourself uh, not not as thinly, perhaps want of a better phrase across so many different things, stopping the emotional overload from everything that's going on before it gets to the point when you're finding things a bit hard. Oh, well, Dan, I don't really know how to do that. <laughs> I um, I live in an overload city. Um, I, I struggle, as a lot of writers do, probably. I struggle with anxiety um, and panic disorder. And so my brain is always moving a thousand miles a minute. Um, and so I'm just kind of used to being in my head all the time. And that's part of what it is when you have anxiety, because you are, you're living sort of in this pretend world all the time, because you're imagining what all the things that could happen, right? What's going to come down? And how would you handle it? And so as I'm working on my day job, my brain is already doing all of these things. So I've sort of learned to channel that into my stories, and um, I find that for me, that emotional release of writing stories to try to understand humans and humanity. And I find that to be really a draw of writing to try to pick apart why we do what we do and to understand the deeper meaning behind things. At the end of the day, when it's family time, I know that you've said that your story keeps creeping back through the work day. How good are you at switching off and, and taking that time to, uh, you know, be with the people around you? Mm, I could be better. I'll be honest. Um, I've had to work on it over the years. Um, but my husband is very supportive and he, we talk a lot about, um, my books and my writing and publishing and the business of publishing and he's in marketing. And so we talk a lot about the marketing aspects. And so he's very supportive of that. And I think because I have that relationship where I feel like someone is supportive of, of this dream that I have, I'm able to kind of talk about it at the end of the day. And then I come down and then I can kind of be present. So I've learned that I need to vocalize a little bit of how I'm feeling for the day. And then I can let go. And um, we try lately, we've been, uh, my kids are seven and nine. So lately we've been having like family reading time where we all read together. And, um, you know, it, I think it's always been a bit of a challenge for me to be really present and not be in my head so much. Um, I'm getting better at it, but I still have a little ways to go. Now, I'll ask a question that I, I think a lot of people in the UK will be very keen on because of where you live in Oregon. And you said you go hiking. Now, this is you're not terrified of bears. Aren't there loads of bears up around Oregon? No, we don't. Really, I mean, I guess we have some black bears or brown bears somewhere. We don't have any grizzlies here. That there's a few in Washington, but it's mostly more in the in the west with um, Montana. Um, and so bears, I'm not afraid of. Um, we have had cougar sightings and um, some other things, but for the most part, I'm not really too concerned about it. I did live in Montana at one point, and I was definitely concerned about it there. I mean, you went out with. Um, bear spray everywhere you went. I have seen grizzlies before. Um, I've seen multiple black bears. And so when I was in Montana, it was very different because it is very, um, it's very nature out there. There's just not a whole lot here. We have a really incredible parks um, department. And so my town actually maintains tons of trails in and around the mountains here. So they're really well-traveled. And most of the time, the animals know that and they can smell that it's it's a human you know track and they'll mostly stay away from it i still carry a knife with me um just in, in case um and occasionally if i'm going out of town where there's not a lot of people i will bring bear spray with me which um they always say had a friend that taught me about hiking and she said bear spray it's good for bear moose and men 
<laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hear Shakespeare like you've never heard before. Here's your show. Play on podcasts are epic audio adventures reimagining timeless tales with award-winning actors. Double, double toil and trouble, fire burning, cauldron bubble. Filet of a forest snake in the cauldron boil and bake. Listen today at playonpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just before we get back to Kerry, I'd love to point you towards our Patreon page. If you are liking the show, if you've learned anything along the way, almost 300 episodes now, completely different authors, spanning genres, spanning ages, spanning experience. If you've learned anything that has helped the way that you get your stories down, the way that you plan your day, you can help support the show for that. Patreon.com forward slash writers routine. It's the best way to keep this going, to help us bring you these chats with the biggest authors around as often as possible. And it's only me, really. You know, I find the guests, read the books, do the interviews, have great chats, edit, publish, do everything. And if you love that and you want to help us carry on bringing you these chats with the greatest around as often as we can, Patreon is the best way to do that. You get our thanks, you get merch, there is bonus episodes, there is even a way for your book to sponsor this show. I can feature it front and centre to make that happen. Uh, just pledge what you can. Doesn't require a lot. I know that times are tight at the moment, so anything that you can send over goes a very long way. I am extremely appreciative. You can make that happen by becoming a backer at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. As I mentioned at the start, over at writersroutine.com right now, you can see a, a book recommendation page on there uh, filled with loads of titles suggested by you over the last what, seven months or so now. Back at the beginning of 2023, I thought it was a good idea to use our hive mind to put it into practice, all the different books that we read across genres, to maybe just like suggest titles to open ourselves up to different stuff that we wouldn't normally read. And we've, we've got loads there that span so many genres. Thank you for sending over your recommendations. Uh, Laura Roberts has got in touch using the page at writersroutine.com. Thank you, Laura. Uh, Laura wants to recommend books by Craig Clevenger. I think I've said that right. Clevenger, Clever, Craig Clevenger, I think is what we'll do. Uh, she recommends Mother Howe, also his two other books, The Contortionist's Handbook and Dermaphoria. Uh, I've not read any myself, Laura, but I've had a look, and that like it's quite is contemporary like neo noir fiction, right? Taking a a different look at uh, problems that we have and kind of pushing it through this quite dark and surreal but uh, funny and edgy lens. Am I right? I'm interested to look at some of his stuff. Thank you so much, Laura. Books there by Craig Clevenger, Mother Howe, The Contortionist's Handbook, and Dermaphoria. You'll find those uh, over at writersroutine.com. That's where you can send over your recommendations, by the way. Use the contact page at writersroutine.com. 
Let's get back to it with historical fiction author Kerry Chappert talking about her new novel, Chasing Eleanor. It's set in 1935. It's all about Magnolia Parker trying to get help for her sick brothers. And she turns to one of the most famous, powerful women in the world, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt. In this part, we talk about binning almost 80,000 words. Also, why she wants to be a plotter, but probably will always end up flying by the seat of her pants. And we get back into it, chatting about her break from writing after having burnout and why she started again. When I left for college, um, you know, I grew up, I actually um, grew up in a a Scottish family. My dad was born in Scotland. And so, you know, very practical, right? Very practical people. And um, the arts was not really something that was encouraged in my household because it was sort of frivolous. And um, so I really liked reading and writing from a young age, but it was, it was not encouraged. It was, this was not something that I thought people could do, um, you know, for certainly not for a job, but even for fun, I thought, Oh, you know, I'll write a few stories and then it wasn't really supported. And so I thought, Oh, you know, forget that. And then when I went to college, my dad actually sat there with me. I don't know um, how you do it in England, but we have back then we had like a catalog of all the different majors and you had to pick a major and he chose it for me. He chose healthcare for me. And um, I, I brought a couple ideas up and he said, yeah, that's, that's the most practical one. Do that one. And so I just never really was given the support to pursue writing as something that I could do. I was trying to be responsible and, and get a, get degrees and have a solid job. And I did. And then um, we left, we were living in California and, you know, California is um, hard financially. It's a very expensive place to live and you have to work really, really hard. And my husband and I are both working really, really hard and we just kind of got tired. And so we need a break from this and we moved to Montana. Um, and, he got a job and I ended up staying home with my kids. And when I was able to just sort of breathe and think about, all right, what do I want out of my life? I've spent so much time doing what everyone else wants me to do and doing what I'm supposed to do and doing what's responsible that I thought, what if it's not frivolous? What if it's something that I really enjoy? And then the enjoyment ended up becoming something that I desperately needed in my life. And um, so I had written a story uh, when I was 25, I didn't really tell anybody about it. I didn't know what I was doing. I just thought, oh, this is really fun. I'm going to do it. And then I was so embarrassed that I wrote this story. And I thought, who are you to be a writer? You don't know anything about this. And so I saved it to my hard drive and didn't look at it again for 15 years. So we were in Montana and um, I was staying home with the kids and it was really long winter. So I just didn't, you're stuck in the house for a lot of time. My kids were napping for two, three hours at a time. And I thought I need something for me. And so the only thing that I thought about was writing and that story that I started writing 15 years ago. And so I told myself, okay, you're going to go on the computer. And if it's still on there, then it's a sign that you're supposed to do this. And somehow magically, even though I changed multiple computers over that 15 years, it was still there. I even like saved it underneath a pretend name because I didn't want anyone knowing what I was doing. And so I went back and I wrote this whole book. I didn't tell my husband. I didn't tell my family. It was just this thing that I thought, oh, this is so fun. And then once I finished it, I went, I thought it was going to be, well, I'll be done with that now. But of course you write one and then you're just hooked and you think that was such a fun adventure. I'm going to want to write another one. It took me a while. It took me a year or two to feel like, you know, this is something I really want to do. Having come to it, like not late, but having had uh, like another, well, other work beforehand, and then this is something you really wanted to pursue. How much has that given you, I guess, an extra freedom at discovering this, uh, like a little bit later than many other people who spend their early 20s kind of slogging it out and and maybe getting disheartened? You've not done that. How, How free has that left you, do you think, in some aspects of writing? I think of that all the time. And I was not mature enough in my 20s to have handled the rejection, first of all, because it's hard, right? You get rejected all the time. um, And you have to take critique and you have to learn and you have to be open minded. And I just don't think I was mature enough in my 20s to be able to tolerate that. I worry that if I would have um, tried to pursue writing then that I I couldn't have done it, it would have been very hard for me. And so I'm very grateful for that. And then I'm also grateful because 
the things that I have learned in my life allow me to look at what I need to look at in order to write these stories, like the deeper meanings of things that um, have been important to me in my life. I don't think I understood them until I turned 40, until you kind of go through a little bit of that life experience to look back and think, okay, what have I learned from some of these things? And how can I take what I've learned and move forward? And I, and I put all that in my writing. Do you think more about the stories that you want to tell and their place in the world? Again, when someone is just starting out and maybe they're fresh out of college, they want to tell a certain type of book. But having the viewpoint of some form of life experience and, and like having a family or whatever it is, how, how much does that alter the stories that you want to tell? It completely alters it. It's funny that you mentioned that because I was talking to a critique partner yesterday about the stories that we're writing now versus what we wrote a few years ago. And my historical fiction trilogy that I've, it's um, based off of my husband's ancestors from um, France back in the 17th century. Um, I was drawn to that because it was a very strong heroine, right? Um, and that at the time, when I first started writing, was what I was drawn to. I like action adventure. I like strong female protagonists. Um, I want. I wanted just a really strong hero with integrity. So that's what I was drawn to, and it's been a really fun ride. And then as I grew as a human and as a writer, the reasons that I start um, focusing on different kinds of stories are much more emotional. And so the stories I'm writing now are connected to things that I've learned about myself over the past few years. How exciting is that knowing that you're still going to grow up and you're still going to write stories and maybe you'll have even different viewpoints on maybe what you're feeling now. I love that outlook. I really do. I think that um, the thing that really blows my mind about writing is that sometimes a, an ideal will come to me and I think, Oh, well, that's really interesting. I'm not really sure why it's interesting to me, but you know, it kind of hooks you and you think about it for a while and maybe it'll sit in my brain for a few months. And then when I start to sit down to write, it always takes on a different life, right? It, it forms into something else and something else. And when I start really looking at why it's forming into something else, it's generally because it's something in my own life that I still need to work through. And this story has sort of pushed its way in to teach me to look at something a little bit deeper. And so each book helps me get to that point. And I think that's really neat. The historical trilogy that you said you're working on, this is Defying the Crown series. Just following up on what you said about, I guess, getting older and having different viewpoints and maybe wanting to write a story for a different reason now. Is it, uh, is, is it kind of tough? Tying yourself is the wrong phrase, but I'm going to say tie. Is it tough almost tying yourself to a, a trilogy and maybe when you're a few years down the line finding it harder to write the third book because the stories that you want to tell are quite different from maybe what they were that's a really really good question and I have been lucky with this series because I really really love my protagonist she's a protestant living in catholic france um during king louis XIV's reign and so her motivation is to save her people. She wants to save her Protestants. And I really resonate with who she is as a person and what she's fighting for. And so I actually have fun every time I go back to it. She's like my, um, my character that never lets me down. Like I can always go back into her head. No problem. I jump right back into her voice. And um, because it's a little bit less of an emotional piece for me, like the one that I'm working on right now is exploring um, anxiety and mental health. And that's, that's much more emotional than an action adventure story, right? Just to write. But I find that when I am kind of, when I've hit a wall with my um, emotional stories, I can jump back to Isabel, my character from my trilogy, and it feels powerful and active and um, kind of gives my brain a little bit of a break from this deeper, more difficult um, subject matter for me. I was out on a bike ride on one of our trails out here with my family. And I was thinking about what life was like during the Great Depression here in Bend. Um, and I love reading about the Great Depression. So I, I thought, I want to write a Great Depression story. And I was just 
but I don't know. I think I was thinking about being on the bike and this trail and what did this trail look like a hundred years ago and who was walking on this trail. And then I started kind of really thinking about the great depression and um, I just got that, you know, that little tingle in your back of your neck where you're like, Oh yeah, this is something, there's something there. I'm not sure what it is yet, but that's when I first felt it. And then what happened next? Because you say that you don't like plan and plot, but then also you've mentioned you might take time out of your day to plot and draft. So when you've got that very initial idea, what 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 do you do? Because your stories are quite full on with research. So there must be some idea of what's happening. Um, loosely. I know what's happening in the historical context, right? Um, I have spent years writing and reading about the Great Depression. So I, I knew that the 1930s were just really interesting to me. So I have some historical t- context and I had recently read a couple of different fiction books that came out about that time um, that I really, really loved. So I was really kind of inspired. And then I didn't really know what I was going to write. So I actually, it started as a, um, as a dual POV and it didn't really work. I mean, I think I went three or four chapters in and I just felt like I lost that initial feeling of excitement. And I knew that, okay, this isn't working. So I I put it aside. And then it's ironic how things work out because I worked with a mentor on the project from there forward. I think I had written three chapters or so. And this mentor meant well, she really did. um, But we didn't really click. And the advice she was giving me didn't feel right for me, for, for my story. And I didn't know what my story was. That's what was hard, right? If I had a real clear vision, then we could have talked about it. But she was trying to help me find the vision. And I was a new writer and I didn't want to seem um, difficult, you know. And so I said, okay, I'll just follow her instruction. So I started writing the story that she's sort of navigating me to write. And it never felt like mine. Um, but I kept going because I thought, well, I'm learning and I need to figure this out. And I ended up writing 83 or 84,000 words. I didn't love it, but I thought, okay, maybe I can work with it. And I gave it to my critique partners who are good friends now. We've been together for years um, in our writing group. And they all said, this is not the book that you set out to write. This isn't even your voice. And I went, yeah, I know you're right. And I right then realized I have to put this in the trash and start over again. And I did. The next day, page one. 80,000 words is quite a long way to get into a book to then discard everything. What was happening, do you think? I know that you said you were kind of writing it perhaps with your mentor's, uh, I guess, idea of the story in, in mind. But as you were writing it, how much do you recall about like not really feeling the vibe, I guess? like 80,000 words is quite a lot to be carrying on with. It is. Um, I think I just looked at it as a learning process. I, it was still very, um, this was the book that really taught me what my process is. And when they taught me that you need to let go sometimes. And the truth is that this is a very, very emotional story for me. It's probably the most emotional story I'll ever write. It brought in a lot of my own personal um, difficulties. And I had to tap into that. And I think that first draft I was protecting myself. I was protecting my my brain from having to go somewhere that it wasn't really ready to go. And I, I think I knew that at the time, but I thought if I just keep writing forward, I'll eventually find it. And then when I got to the end, I realized I never did find it. <laughs> so we got to start over. But, you know, as this is one of the things I love about writing is that I wrote this book for me. A hundred percent. I wrote it to heal parts of my own life. And and it did. I mean, I wrote the character forgiving people that she spent her whole life not being able to forgive. And um, so I was able to, in a way, write the story that I wish that I could have. How much at the end of those 80,000 words, the initial draft, how much was there a big uh, like debrief and, and you like rooting through the draft, the manuscript and finding out what you wanted to keep and what you didn't? Um, not a lot. There were a handful of passages that I really liked and that felt kind of raw where I, I was able to say, oh, there's there's something there. There were just a few, not much. Um, but I did go through and I ended up highlighting. I actually took a really wonderful course um, by Donald Moss about, he's a, a literary agent, about 
voice. And he said, one of the best things you can do to figure out your voice is go through um, something that you've written and just highlight the things that, that jump out to you. Highlight the passages that kind of give you that ooh feeling. This is really good. And so I did that and I highlighted and those, those highlights became my character's voice. It became, okay, I think I know where I need to go with this character because I see the pieces that are rising to the surface and I can start there and work out. And um, it wasn't easy. I mean, rewriting that was tough and I hit a lot of roadblocks and it was, it was a lot of tears. Um, but by the time that I finished that, when I wrote the end on that draft, I knew that I left it all on the page. I knew that this was going to be a story that was going to be really important to me. What was it about the bits that you highlighted and the, 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 uh, why did they leap out of the page to you? I think because it was just unfiltered. Um, you know, writing about a 17-year-old in the Great Depression who's going through extreme poverty and her family's falling apart and um, she's so much pressure on her shoulders, but she still has this bit of an attitude. Um, I think at that age, you believe you're strong enough to handle anything that comes your way and you're going to do better than your parents. And so I liked that she's vulnerable, but also edgy. And, and so I like, I found that the places where she's balancing those two things jumped out at me the most. How tough was that to write in that style with that voice then knowing what it is, you've got this glimmer that you like her when she's edgy, when she's forceful, trying to tailor another draft around these small snippets that you've figured out? I found it very freeing because once I was able to pull out the parts that I really like, then I could build a story around it. And the, the difference was in this next draft, I had the internal motivation that I didn't have in the first. That's always what gets me. And I've realized that, and that's why, you know, you asked about, even though I don't plot or plan, if I'm thinking about another story, I'm not thinking about the plot, but I've discovered that if I don't have the internal motivation, the internal goal, and the misconception figured out from the get-go, that's what kind of sends me off the rails. So um, I realized I knew what her internal goal was. I knew what her misconception was. And that drove the story for me. And then the rest of it is fun. The rest is just plot, right? Like adventures that you get to go on and really cool things about Eleanor Roosevelt. And I used a lot of historical facts um, to match up with what she was doing at the time. And that part was fun. So once I had the voice settled, it kind of gave me freedom to really settle into the book that I wanted to tell. It's interesting being a pantser. Sometimes when I speak to plotters, they will, they'll tell me they have like the idea of the roadmap of where they want to end up in their mind, but the characters sometimes drag them off course and they explore other areas. Whereas perhaps for someone like you, a, a pantser, you, you don't know where they're trying to drive the car. So how often does your character take you down avenues and complete dead ends which are leading nowhere and you've got a, a, a really reverse back to pretty frequently <laughs> pretty frequently <laughs> it's not ideal but um i i am a very intuitive writer i can kind of tell when something is not quite right but sometimes i'll explore it sometimes i know even though i'm gonna erase these next two or three chapters i'll still explore it because i will get something out of it something in the backstory something in um, a motivation. I'll find something in there that I go, okay, that's what I need to work on. So in a way, I'm kind of constantly free writing and then putting aside whatever doesn't work for me. At what point when you're writing, do you start to get an idea of where this is all leading towards? <laughs> I, you know, I wish I had the answer to that um, because my current project, I got to 50,000 words and said, this is not right. And I'm going to be starting over. So this is the part of being a pantser that is really painful to, for people to understand. Because for me, I just like moving forward. I like the process of writing. And so I kind of look at my rough draft as a free write. And sometimes it's a short story. Sometimes it's 50,000 words. Sometimes it's 80. Um, and I just free write whatever comes to me. And then from there, then I'll maybe lightly plot out the revision. And then that's where that's where I have a little bit more direction. Cause I find that, I don't know if you feel this, but sometimes I read a book and I think I can tell they've plotted this out every step of the way because it feels contrived. Right. 
I like when you read a book that feels like, ah, oh, I feel like I can sense that they pants their way through this because they let the story grow itself instead of trying to push it into something too structured. Not always, but sometimes I feel like I can kind of tell um, that they maybe were not too excited to explore some different avenues in the story. And I like that. I, I think that that's where the magic is. So even though you've had experiences where you've had to bin 80,000 words, you're about to have to bin 50,000 words. No part of you thinks maybe I should plan a bit before I start. Oh, no, I do think that. <laughs> Absolutely think that. I actually am working with a book coach who's sort of teaching me how to do a very, very rough outline. Um, it's not even an outline. It's a seven point story arc. And I'm finding that that's helping me because some of the really detailed beat sheets I, I can't do. I just look at it and think how does anyone write this before you're in the story? I just don't know. I come up, you know, day by day and whatever happens, happens. Um, so I am still honing my process. I'm still, I would like to not have to rewrite so much. So, um, but each book you write, you learn so much. And I would say in that 50,000 words that I, I'm not going to trash the whole thing. There will be parts of it that I'll still use. And, um, a lot of setting that I really like. And so it's not all going to go to waste, but that those 50,000 words took me to the next level of writing. And I know that they did because I, I saw it and I, I went, Oh, okay. I'm seeing things now that I mistakes I've been making in the past that I can, I can fix that moving forward. So for me, each process of writing is I look at it as a lifelong learning tool and I'm never going to stop learning. And so the idea that I'm going to, sort of fix my process isn't really in my in my brain I, i'm thinking more of this is part of the part of the learning curve for me well lastly let's just talk about that learning curve then you you've published a few books you've written more uh how much have you learned about how you work best aside, aside from waking up early how much do you know about what gives you the best opportunity to get your book down I'm, I'm still figuring it out, really. Um, I do know that I need freedom. I know that. Um, and so it, the critique partner that I just mentioned that I met with yesterday, she was helping trying to structure an um, outline for this next book that I'm trying to do. And I could feel myself fighting against her going, no, but I, I can't do that. I can't do that. She needs bullet points, really, to, to make a story go. I need to talk it out. I need to have people ask me questions. And what about this? What about that? So my critique partners now know that sometimes I come to them with an idea and then they'll just help me flesh it out. They'll ask lots of questions and what's the motivation and why and why and why and why. And I go deeper, 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 deeper. And then when I really hit the bottom of, oh, that's why, that's why I'm interested in this story. And I find out what is the reason that this story came to me? What is the ultimate theme or message that means something to me? Once I find that, then I know I can start writing. Thank you so much to Kerry Chappett for coming on the show. That new novel is Chasing Eleanor. It's out right now. Uh, next week, we're chatting to the poet and author Jenna Clark, who, after publishing some poetry collections, has got her new novel out, a brand new debut. It's at a tight 200 pages, too. Nice and short. It's called Disturbance. You can hear the story behind that story with Jenna next week on the show. In the meantime, you can support us, patreon.com forward slash writers routine. You can get in touch using the page at writersroutine.com, clicking the contact form there, and we're on Twitter too, however long that's around. I don't know, I've not had this rate exceeded thing. Anyway, uh, at writerspond over on Twitter, and I will see you next week with a brand new episode with Jenna Clark. Until then, bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.